challenges to remember that God is all there is. How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. This is show number 172. I can hardly believe it. And my name is Tracy Brown. My co-host on the show is Leslie Moni, and she will be joining us in just a few minutes. I always love telling the story about how this show began. Uh, More than three years ago, Leslie and I were sitting and trying to find something we could do together, work on together, something that would grow us both and enrich us both, and this idea of doing an Internet radio show was discussed. And uh, Leslie said, yeah, that's a great idea. What would we talk about? We didn't, neither one of us knew what we would talk about. And then somehow the conversation turned to, but we know spirit is telling us to do this, right? We know our intuition and our interest and our passion. It's like, do this. And it's like, yeah, just say yes to spirit. And now, of course, you know that's the name of the show. The other piece that's so amazing about this is, you know, I am um, a planner, an imaginer, I have a lot of vision, and then I think about, oh, how to make that happen. And Leslie is much more of a, oh, let's just do it. So we talked on Friday about doing a show, and on Monday we had our first show. And that was more than three years ago, because this is show 172. Our theme every week helps to guide the conversation and at least give us a starting point for how we talk about what does it mean to say yes to spirit and how would our lives be if we consciously and intentionally said yes to the guidance of spirit, said yes to the principles of spirit, said yes to the way of being that would demonstrate that we are saying yes to spirit. And uh, obviously there is no topic that is not related to spirit since there's nothing that can possibly be operating outside of this circle created by, formed by God. So um, our theme every week is simply a place to begin the conversation. So what's our theme this week, you might ask? Or if you're online, you're looking at it. Our theme this week is fear. Think about what you're afraid of. Think about how does fear hold you back? Is it possible to transform fear into faith? So we'll be talking about all of that um, as we go through our time together today. Uh, but, uh, But let's first simply define fear. Oh, no, I can't do that. Sorry. I have a tradition to uphold. So at the beginning of every show or near the beginning of every show, we also have a pattern now of connecting the dots. And um, the idea behind connecting the dots is that we think about what was the theme of the most recent show And what's the theme of today's show? And is there a connection between the two? So our most recent theme was time. And uh, our theme today is fear. And, you know, there are a lot of connections between time and fear. So, you know, when you think of time, really, not when we're not living in the present moment and we're looking forward, anticipating the future, or we're looking back, Uh, remembering the past, a lot of our fears are related to what we experienced in the past that didn't work out so well or what we're projecting will happen in the future. 
And if we are actually just staying right in the present moment, often, you know, we're not in fear or we're in fear because of the story we've told about what's getting ready to happen or what already happened. So I think that's one of the many connections. That's one of the first ones that pops into my mind if we're going to connect the dots between time and fear. And once Leslie joins us, we'll give her an opportunity to also connect the dots as she desires, and she loves doing connect the dots so much. But for now, that's going to be our connect the dots. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit, and our theme today is fear. So what is fear? You know, what does the dictionary say? Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. Fear, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. So as a noun, as a thing, fear is an emotion. And, of course, sometimes we use it as a verb, I'm afraid, or um, I have fear of, uh, I am fearing. So as a verb, it's to be afraid of someone or something that's lo- that you believe is likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening. So I'm reading a book right now called The Art of Uncertainty, How to Live in the Mystery of Life and Love It by Dennis Merritt Jones. It's a fabulous book because it just makes everything so clear about how our lives are always changing, life and the world, always changing. So we live in an in an uncertain Universe and uncertainty really is the norm. You may be familiar with the saying, the only constant is change. But what Dennis Merritt Jones does is he gives gives you information to help you understand what's going on. And then the subtitle of the book, How to Live in the Mystery of Life and Love It, um, really is captured in the book because he gives these practices and he tells great stories that give you a way to recognize your fear, recognize your fear of the unknown, recognize that we're making it all up anyway, and then some practices you can use to get grounded. Here's what he says at the top of Chapter 2. The Chapter 2 is the anatomy of fear. And he shares an example uh, of his own that happened in his own life. He, it says, I vividly remember as a 10-year-old boy walking home alone many nights from my friend Tim's after dark. When I say walking, I have to chuckle because seldom did I walk. I ran like my pants were on fire. This was my first memorable experience of what it really meant to travel the path of uncertainty by myself, and it frightened me immensely. I had to traverse through a deep half-mile-long ravine that ran all the way from the back of his house to mine. It was pitch dark, and there were numerous critters, some real and many imagined, I am sure, critters noises, and countless holes and fallen trees around which I had to navigate. 
This was not an easy thing to do in total darkness. And yet, somehow I always managed to make it home unscathed. The problem was that each time I had to run the gauntlet again, there were those same fears waiting for the race to begin. And, you know, I just, when I read that the first time, I thought, okay, I didn't have that exact experience of, you know, running in the dark, you know, through kind of the back back roads or the back ways between homes. But this idea that even though he navigated it in pitch dark conditions and got home safely, the next day or the next time he was at his friend's house, he still imagined all the same things, that the same fears came up even after he had many, many times been successful. And I thought, how do I do that in my life, that I believe in the fear more than what I know to be true, what I've even personally experienced? And so it's so interesting for us when we talk about this idea of saying yes to spirit. It's just so interesting to recognize that we still are prone to allow the fear, give the fear more power than we give the truth. We allow the fear to step in and really take control over what we're thinking and what we're doing. And then we then we find ourselves safe again and wow Oh, oh yeah, I made it. But next time we're right back there. I don't know, Leslie. Have you ever like had that feeling of, you know, there's the something I know I'm afraid of, even though I, even though I handle, have handled it quite well in the past. You know, it's funny as you were telling that story, and then when you said, you know, we give the fear the power, it's almost as if I become fear. I don't have a, when I am in fear, I don't have a mechanism really to un-disconnect from that or unlatch from the fear. It's almost as if I just get washed away. And, And the best thing that I've learned to do over time recently is to reach out to a safe person and say I'm in fear and then through their verbalization back and they're kind of reflecting oh it's just a it's just a dark space and you've heard that dog bark before and you know home is close and you're going to be just fine hearing their voice soothes me but it's almost like the fear just envelops me still today, sadly. I should be so much healthier, really, shouldn't I? But yeah. Oh, it, I don't it, know it about that. Oh, oh, oh. Well, and that's because, you know, I have the theory that all of the emotions, the entire range of emotions, they're all good. They all serve a purpose, and we just tend to get caught up in some of the emotions more often than not. I mean, each one of us has some dominant emotions that we default to. But fear, I mean, actually think about it. Fear is truly healthy. It gets us, it saves us when it is founded, you know, when it is actually a situation that could be harmful. Our fear is what is our warning sign. Well, that's interesting because I never, I don't have any physical fear. Like I will walk around in quote-unquote dangerous areas and I don't have any kind of physical fear of my well-being. I don't know if that makes me, what that makes me, but I really don't. I have a clear sense that I'll be physically safe and nothing physically will come of harm to me. My fear is all emotional based. (laughs) And I, I, I do think our emotionally based fear is uh, quite powerful. I do believe that I've experienced that in myself and in so many others. And I love what you said a few minutes ago about how when 
you are in fear, it seems to block out. It's so powerful. It seems to block out every other possibility. Right. So that the fear, it's like, and it is, it's like I am the fear. The fear is me. Right. There's no room for anything else, or at least that's how it feels. It feels so consuming. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's um, it's fantastic to have a safe space to reach out to and get from the outside in. I imagine the ultimate stage of health would be <laughs> figure out how to be able to give that to myself. But um, because being in that state, I think... Um, you know, working with women in the jail, I can clearly see how that fear state causes them to commit crimes. You know, that fear state causes me to, you know, do self-destructive and self-abusive things that if I wasn't in that fear state, my clear mind would think of other choices, no other options. But when I'm in fear, you know, I'm going to do really ridiculous things and possibly even criminal things to try to, you know, squelch that that fear, or you know, I'm desperate to to alleviate that anxiety or that high, irritating whatever it is that's inside of me that you know that the fear generates. And if I think this self-destructive act will help ease that, then if I can't find a healthy way out of fear, I'm very likely to to do some pretty unhealthy things. Yeah, uh, Jim Morrison quote, um, we fear violence less than we fear our own feelings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is interesting and, um, you know, I'm thinking about it and it is true. A lot of people don't want to, face their feelings or express their feelings or allow their feelings and so they stuff it and they're yeah, they fear violence less than actually feeling what they feel. Right. So. You know, feelings that we don't feel from little tiny tiny age if we're raised in you know beyond I had sexual trauma as a child, but even beyond that, my parents didn't really express feelings, didn't really have feelings, I didn't see emotion expressed, everything was pretty kind of flatlined, and um, so I didn't learn how to, you know, if I'm sad, to be sad, or if I'm, you know, feeling frustrated, here's a way you can go and, you know, throw the basketball and let that out, so there was no real learning of how how to feel, and so my feelings kind of became encrusted in this little jar and over the years as I didn't feel and didn't feel and didn't feel it just becomes such a thick kind of deep seated something that's still there and the fear of and then it grows I mean that's a classic therapeutic thing right then that unfelt feeling grows and then the fear like exactly as you said the fear of feeling gives that feeling so much power when if I could just you know sit in the corner and feel for five minutes Boy, that would just open up some of that jar. That, that would be a lot to think about. Yeah, I, I, do, I, I think everybody listening, it's like just for a minute, think back. What did you? What was modeled in your home when you were growing up as it relates to feelings? And, you know, what was healthy and what was quote-unquote unhealthy. I mean, ultimately it's all good because we grow up and we get to make our own choices. But what did, how do I behave today as it relates to how I was um, introduced or how feelings were modeled when I was growing up? It's a really interesting thing to think about, because I know for me, when I was growing up, it wasn't so much that I was told not, it wasn't that I was told that you can't have feelings. Not out loud. Yeah, I mean, nobody ever said (laughs) that, but when you described, you know, your family, I thought, oh, yeah, one of the things that when I was in my 20s and starting to really decide who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be. 
you know, I remember thinking back and going, I can't, I couldn't remember even one time seeing my parents hug or show any physical oh, affection. Me now, I'm not talking about, you know, public display of affection and kissing and all of that, but just even like a hug, reaching out, yeah, touching or that. touching, right, touching a hand right. in consolation or compassion or. I couldn't think, I couldn't remember one time. Mm-mm. And I remembered um, when I was um, in my late teens or early 20s, and my parents were divorced by then, I remembered uh, when I was in my 20s looking back, I remembered that I m- came home from college, and I think I was just on a break, so I was in my late teens. And my dad took me to like took me out to lunch after church or after work or something. Took me out for a meal at this restaurant. And when we were in line, it was a cafeteria style restaurant. And when we were in line, he put his arm around my shoulder, and I was like, <laughs> and I remember in that moment almost jumping out of my skin. <laughs> what is this? Right. It wasn't that I didn't. I, it's not I, I didn't want it or not want it. Mm-hmm. It was just so foreign mm-hmm. that he would do something so familial mm-hmm. and so casually. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. And, and you know, I actually made a conscious decision in my mid-20s, mid to late-20s, that I wanted to be able to, you know, show just affection mm-hmm. and touch have that touch connection, and of course, by then I was in in a relationship. And were we married? We weren't married yet, but we were had been together a few years. And his family was very touchy feely, and you know, you got within three feet of them, and they're grabbing you and pulling you in to hug you. And it was like a transition that? for me, right? Uh-huh. But then I found I really loved it, right? You know, it's interesting because I can remember even as a small child, I was a hugger. I would hug everybody, and after dinner every night, I would kiss mom and dad on the cheek, and I would hug them, and I can remember my dad would put his arm around me and hug back, and my mother would just sit there, bless mother's heart. Someday I will think of something she did well, and I will balance out, but I can't, not quite yet. But, uh, you know, she really wouldn't even respond to my, but I've always been very touchy-feely to the extent that I've had people say, you know, stop touching me. Yes. Don't touch me. You don't know me well enough to touch me. Right. Who said you, said you to could touch me? me? But right. you know, I'm a very touchy feeling person. But you know, I think that that is interesting because you know you don't realize when you're growing up mm-hmm. what you are learning or not mm-hmm. learning. And yeah. so you know, I think as it relates to fear and emotion, mm-hmm. and all of this is like how you're expressing emotion. But what happened was there was a lot of fear. Mm. I mean, I was a little black kid, and this was before and during the Civil Rights Movement. There was a lot of fear because black people were not safe. You were segregated in, or how do you say that? What's the right word? You were bust in, right, to the white school? (laughs) You told me that story. Yeah, I was when I was in the fourth grade. Really interesting story. And, um, And so... What's interesting is that even in a family that was not affectionate, there was no way to pretend a, a an emotion as strong as fear didn't exist. And so we were taught coping skills and processing skills to process emotion, even though, like, in my family it wasn't a big discussion, Mm. but individually, you know, you were taught ways or we were taught ways to process the Mm. fear of physical harm, let alone the fear and the anger and the, you know, all the emotions that could come up when people um, emotionally or when they treat you or Mm -hmm. definitely verbally. And so it's... So when I think back, it wasn't that I was that emotions were stuff. They were not verbally expressed, and they were not physically expressed, but they were mentally processed. So they didn't get turn into rage or turn into um, inappropriate behavior. 
Well, no, that's interesting. And 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 am I guessing right? Because you're black, that was a survival skill. Because if you got angry or you showed rage, then so much you were, more would come back on you. You exactly. would be exactly. So in a strange way, there was a. I'm sure just culturally. You had to teach each other that. I mean, your parents would teach your children. Right, you know. parents and, and in church and, wow. you know, all of that, that there was a lot. And by learning to deal with that emotion of fear, yeah. then basically it's the same process of dealing with other emotions as well. So it is interesting, even and maybe for me, I'll have to ask my sister. I say that a lot. I mean, I have to have this conversation with my sister, right? Because I, having always been more of an introvert anyway, you know, learning to process internally was fine with me. But I have a sister who was who was growing up behaved much more as an extrovert. Actually, both of my sisters, and so. I wonder if I wonder uh-huh. yeah. Are yeah, they wonder, is she older or younger me? Older, both older. Older. So they would have maybe experienced more a, you know, somewhat of a different time frame as well in the culture. Yeah. So it's not just the verbal expression of emotion or in this case fear. It's what do you do with the fear? Right. And it's like it is I think one of the most powerful lessons now, just in this moment, reflecting, one of the most powerful lessons I got about fear was that fear is real. See, isn't that interesting? Because now we know fear is not real, but yeah, that's well, no, that no, it's an emotion that it you feel it, oh, but you don't have to be stuck in it, right? That you know, fear is a real thing, but it's not who you are. It's not the power. Right. And that doesn't have power. It was never phrased that way, but it's like, yes, you should be feeling fear. You're watching TV and you see the police releasing dogs on on people who look like you, and all they're trying to do is sit at a lunch counter, you know, or they're walking down the street. And so, yes, fear is a real thing, but it does not have the power to control you, it has, you notice it, and then you have options. You make options, but you create options, but there are options. And I wonder if you see fear as, if I see fear as this, what, uh, False things appearing real or something like that? Is that it? False? Some people use that. A lot of people use that. Not quite the acronym, but close no, enough. That's, a Is lot that of it? people use that. Okay. So if then I'm more um, energized or have more physical resources to be able to respond in a way that allows me to come come out better, like if I'm if I'm walking down a street and my intuition tells me there's something scary about this physical surrounding, this isn't good for me, and, and I can understand that my fear, if it boils up and creates anxiety and causes me to kind of become a deer in a headlight and freeze or start running in a direction maybe of where the where the danger is, if I am able to breathe and stop and just put a little bit of gap between the experience and my response, and can see that fear is not going to serve me other than right there in that moment, the fear of the intuition of knowing, you know, this is not a safe space, this is not a safe person, whatever it is, and then being able to put that little space and respond versus reacting, because when I react, whew, yeah. And, you know, my family, uh, we, we, we kind of mastered the art of, Fear leading meaning really catastrophic things. If somebody was five minutes yes. late, or somebody you didn't you know didn't know where they were, worry was an Olympic sport, and then everything horrible had happened to them. So the fear would just go to an extreme. And so now you know, if I can't get a hold of somebody, or you know, I mean, it's it, it, that just my knee jerk <laughs> reaction is like life's over, and I've got to really overreact, which serves no one, right? Right. Yeah. I will Keep agree with that. Keep telling me that. Keep saying that again and again. <laughs> Calling the police and saying, I haven't heard from my mother. Can you go by her house? is not a good choice. They're not going to do that. 
No, not, not anymore. Really. They used to do well right. checks. They, yeah. well, they still do, but it's like I haven't heard from my mother <laughs> in, in a week. In, in 20 minutes? You can get down 20 minutes. Not, I, well, when was the last time you talked to her? About three hours ago. No. Sorry. Not happening. Not happening. So, yeah, this I'm really glad we're talking about this today because I, I hadn't. I really hadn't thought about how intimately or how completely I had learned that lesson that it's okay to be afraid and then you make choices mm-hmm. and take action. So, you know, it's it's you're processing it in your mind, but you have to take action because if you are stuck are frozen in the fear, mm-hmm. then you, the, whatever is causing the fear is going to be, still be there or grow. Right. And so this whole idea of taking action. So it's like, oh, that's really cool. I never. It's so much a part of me because I guess it started so long. Right. Makes sense. Uh, so early that I don't really think about it, and I can see so many ways I play that out in my life, except. For when I'm in fear about money. That's so funny. Yeah. That's the one place that immediately comes to mind. It's like, oh, yeah, and that and that and that. And if I'm dealing with people, uh-huh. I immediately go into, okay, what are my options so I can respond or so that I can remove myself from this or make do something that will make me feel safer. And then the, my, the other side of my mind went, yeah, so why don't you do that? Like when you find out the IRS is going to audit you, why don't you say, okay, I'm you're a, just oh, right, but, you know, I'm afraid about that. And <laughs> I it get immobilized mm-hmm. because, of course, the only option is, you know, they're going to do Imprisonment. the audit. <laughs> oh, no, they're going to. Do the audit, and then I'm going to owe, like, you know, $50,000, and how am I ever going to get $50,000, and, you know, and and then I build the story, like you were talking about. And then if I can't pay $50,000, then I'm, you know what, I won't, they'll take my car or my house, or they'll, you know, oh, and then what will happen? Then I'll be homeless. And then what will happen, right? And I build this story, and the whole foundation of the story is fear without looking at, that hasn't even happened yet. You don't even know. Right. I'm in the yeah. future, right? Mm-hmm. Creating a future that has nothing to do with what my options are for action right now right. that could then tell a different story. But if it's a re- related to people... You got that. I, I immediately can think of, oh, well, we could do this, or we could have this conversation, or here are five questions I can ask, and I know it's going to work out just fine, Walking down a dark street at night, which I I don't do very much, but if I were, or when I go to different cities and I have my skates, uh-huh. and I'm going skating because I know there's an, an uh, a rink that has an adult session, and often people like I'm, the clients I'm there to work with, or you know people who are at the convention I'm at or whatever. And I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm going skating tonight, and somebody local invariably will ask, well, where? And I'll say where it is, almost always in a black neighborhood. So skate rinks. Right, because we skate late at night. And they'll be like, oh, you better be careful. And I think, (laughs) I'm not afraid. I'm black, and I'm not afraid to be in a black neighborhood (laughs) after dark. I don't glow in the dark. And I have skates that I'm going <laughs> skating, and skating rinks have a community uh-huh. where, you know, I know the culture around skating rinks in the black community. So, yeah, I, I leave the rink at 1 o'clock in the morning and walk right. a block to my car and don't think anything about it as from a fear right. point of view. And if there are people on the street who are, like, clearly not at the skating rink but they're coming, yeah. I'm not oblivious yeah, to that. Intuition, yeah. But I'm not afraid. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Where, where's that weak part? And that, I think, is where, what are you afraid of and how does fear hold you back 
can you transform fear into faith, it's like, oh, okay, if that's the place where fear has more control than my faith, what do I do or what can I do that reminds me I have committed my life to say yes to spirit? And how does my yes to spirit move me or support me in moving out of the control of the fear? And the, you know, fear and faith obviously can't coexist. And it's interesting to really consider how all of my fear is emotional fear. So the emotional fear is really almost more of a slap in spirit's face. Slap in the energetic force field of the oneness, the cosmic slap. Um, there we go. But it would be, a, it really seems, and I'll often say, you know, it's most disheartening to be as aware as I am of how spirit works and how the oneness is all there is and to get so washed away into fear <laughs> and um did uh an upcoming topic has changed did you set something upcoming in it yes. and it's fascinating to me I've figured this last couple of weeks how fearful I am of change. Can you imagine me liking routine and kind of having a ritual and you know enjoying you know a pattern and so the idea of change even good change, even healthy, even happy, even, you know, it's interesting people talk about the incidence of suicide and the incident of anxiety attacks increase around Christmas time. Yes. Which is around the time yes. of year where, you know, everybody's supposed to be so happy and everything yes. is supposed to be so, you know, you there's a vacation time and you get to be around your family and, you know, things are going, you know, well, of course, you know, the, even the happy, so fascinating just from the outside. If it wasn't my life, it'd be more interesting, but how much... Anxiety and fear, and then the question comes, is anxiety the same thing as fear? I think so. Um, is created for me with, by change or by good? Because I'm so, I have conditioned myself so much to believe I don't deserve good. I'm not worthy of good. You know, knock my own feet out from underneath me one more time. So anytime something good comes towards me, all my defense mechanisms kick in and I become just in terror. You know, on that scale of anxiety, then fear, then terror, I can go to terror pretty quick. So, don't be nice to me, Tracy. I'll be much more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So, I can highly recommend the Art of Marriage Jones book, The Art of Uncertainty. How to live in the mystery of life and love it, doesn't it? Um, Actually, and I talked about it earlier. So, um, you know, I am really loving this book, and um, and it's not so much that the concepts are new, but just the way that they're presented. And as I mentioned earlier today, the some of the practices like. um, Dennis Merritt Jones has a a, a medit kind of a guided meditation around dancing with your fear. Oh, fun! That is very powerful. This idea of um, you know, imagine that you are at a dance and there your fears are all the people sitting around the or the you know the entity sitting uh-huh. around the wall uh-huh. and you you want to dance and so you you have to ask someone to dance and you pick a fear and you ask you you oh, wow. that that thing or that idea that concept or that person mm. that you're afraid of to mm. dance with you And, you know, you've invited them to dance with you. And then as you're dancing, you ask the question, like, basically, what what is it that I'm to learn from you? Or what is the gift that you have for me? And they whisper the answer in your ear. And it's very sweet, obviously. We're not in a meditation right now, but it's described in the book. Uh And, you know, to sit and 
and think about it, or, you know, the book is available in audio form. Mm. You know, if you were listening to the book on, in audio mm-hmm. and to have be walked through that meditation, it's like, oh, okay. And it, it, it lessens mm-hmm. the strength and the power of that. And it's really that you know if I if you believe that you that all things are for your best and highest good they're good or they're leading to good then oh this that I'm afraid of there's right. something I'm supposed to be getting from that right. beyond or behind the fear yes so why don't I just ask it oh, why don't I, I just ask that. spirit yeah. what it is so I can like. Let it go. Move. Be done. Right. Be done with that one because there are plenty more <laughs> to choose from, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. So. <clears throat> and I love the idea of making that choice because then that also allows me to have a feeling of, you know, that that, that I'm not lost to it. But right. it, it it is outside of me and I can have this exchange and learn from, and it doesn't have to become me. Exactly. It it does keep the separation there Mm -hmm. uh, different from what you said earlier about, Mm -hmm. and and I think it's true for all of us. When we're really afraid, it fills all of our body and mind, you know, not our soul, but our body and our mind, (laughs) and we're operating completely from that fear. Right. But, yeah, this idea of if I am reaching out and asking Mm -hmm. it to dance with me or if I am asking it a question, Mm -hmm. then it's a separate entity. Yeah. It's not who I am. It's who I'm engaging with. I really like that. So lots of really powerful examples like that. I definitely don't read it. It will help me. (laughs) I definitely can't have that book anywhere near me. Um, it, you know, it's an interesting thing um, working with the women in the in the jail. If you can imagine living with sixty four women with no walls and no doors, and just the concept of gossip and how you know, sadly, women specifically seem to have a greater need to feel a part of something and a more attachment to what Sally Sue thinks of me. Um, and so there's so much irritation and anxiety that comes from interpreting what other women are thinking about me. Yes. And it's so amazing to watch uh, a woman, at least every class that I do, somebody will start off with, oh, you know, Sally Sue and Francis are, you know, being mean to me and not, you know, cutting me off in line. and. And they'll be so caught up in the story about Sally Sue and Francis and then trying to move them to, well, what does that remind you of and what is the feeling beneath that and then where have you had that feeling before and how if you follow that little thread, you know, you get back to when you were five and, you know, Fred and Albert on the playground and the real core of the feeling, the anxiety or the being left out or whatever it is that, that, that never was safe to feel because your mom was drunk and your dad was in prison, and you had to cover that up at five years old, then, you know, it, it just metamorphoses into this huge thing when you're 40 in jail, right? And and But how often we stay in the Sally, Sue, and Francis. Do you love how I make up names? And I'm actually remembering them this time. It's good. So as long as we stay in that story up here, we never get down to Albert and Fred. Love it. And um, in Albert and Fred, that is what's creating our irritation with Sally, Sue, and Francis. So it's really everything that's happening in my world, if I can stop it long enough to see it as a dance and to see it as an opportunity to learn something and to ask it, you know, what does this remind me of? What am I feeling? Where have I felt that before? And getting to that core issue. It's always an opportunity, isn't it, Leslie? I should think of things as an opportunity. I shouldn't see things as just one more day of hell and drudgery. That's no way to look at life, is it, Tracy Brown? I shouldn't look at it that way. <laughs> Not if you oh, are saying so yes, yes to spirit. spirit. Right, right. Very good, very good. I have a choice. I have a choice. Say it one more time. <laughs> I have a choice. <laughs> For the love of all things holy, I have a choice. So what 
spiritual practices mm. might be helpful if someone finds themselves being consumed by fear, what are things that could be done? You know, when I'm really in fear and anxiety, I can't sit. I can't sit. I'm too focused in fear. I have to, you know, I have to be having this nervous energy in my body. So even, you know, meditation is far outside of my reach. But if I could just sit, sit, just sit, just sit. You know, it's funny. I have a sister who's coming into town who I love. I make that sound like she's the only one in my family that I have that special feeling for, sort of. But anyway, this this sister that I love is coming to town. But I've watched her over the years. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt the story. (laughs) Are you happy that I love? What am I? No, I'm just laughing because Um, I have a theory. Oh, do you? That the reason you just love your sister is because she lives out of town and everybody else is local and you see them way too much. Maybe. Maybe she was a smart one. She got out of the vortex. Okay, so tell the story. But she is a needle pointer and a Mm. crafter, and she can never sit still. Even when watching TV, she'll be needle pointing, she'll be crafting. Like if she finishes a meal before anybody else and wants to, you know, sit and continue talking, she really just, and this is, it's gotten better over the years, but there's a period of time I was like, I would watch her with fascination because I thought, if I take that out of her hands, she'll just she'll just implode or something will happen. You know, she'll just like become smoke. Boop. Because I could feel I don't know if it was fear or anxiety or what the emotion internally was, but it was something so big and she had to be moving her hands and her fingers had to be doing something. And um so just the spiritual practice of sitting and being still and nothing having nothing in my hands. We do a meditation in the jail every morning and One time it's for a minute, and then another day it'll be five minutes. So it's never more than five minutes. But it's fascinating to watch 64 women, not the majority of them, not be able to sit still for five minutes without, you know, opening their eyes and picking up a pencil or, you know, trying to, you know, act like they're not looking in their folder, but they really are. I mean, just the, just the power of sitting still and stilling our bodies for five minutes. How often do we? That. Yeah, and it is that would that is challenging when we're operating in fear. When we're already right. when we are in fear, experiencing fear, the last thing our body and mind right. want to do is stop because right. we're in fear and the adrenaline is rushing. Yes. Which, you know, in our stressful society our adrenaline is rushing, you know, all, all, almost all the time, mm-hmm. just constantly. But if we're in a situation where we really are afraid about something, yeah, the adrenaline's rushing, and so it, it I, it's hard. It's really challenging. Um, but that does create the opening. You know, I'm I'm teaching a class on spiritual practices, and in our class, our last class, we talked about. Um, the difference between directive spiritual practices and receptive spiritual practices. Hmm. And so this idea of, you know, sitting in the stillness or Uh meditation or even visioning, being I am still and I am open to receive Uh guidance from spirit. I am ready to receive something. Yeah, when you're in fear, that's really hard because your ego and your energy is all about I got to protect this person. You know, mm-hmm. I got to protect myself. I've got to fix this. Um, this isn't going to work. I'm in survival mode. <laughs> right? And how do you just go? Ah, <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that brings up another spiritual practice of breathing and having that breathing happen. And breathing, when we know uh, about breathing, is if I'm in any kind of emotion and I'm trying to block it or stop it, I'll stop my breath. Or I'll breathe shallowly. That's a good word, isn't it? Shallowly. Sounds like a... No. Shallowly. It's not even a word. No, it just sounds like it's fun to say, though. (laughs) So let's say it shallowly. But anyway, so you're not breathing when when you're wanting to block a feeling... So a deep breath is really a powerful, powerful tool. Now, here's an, is there a difference between an emotional tool and a spiritual tool? 
Yes, but I think there are tools that are in both categories. Ah, now there's the wise Tracy coming out. There you go. That's right. Very good. And certainly breathing can be a a, a spiritual practice. Do you know what I did the other day? No, about what a month did you ago? do the other day yes. about a month ago? Yes, yeah, I'm very excited to even remember this. I did a chanting, a kirtan. Am I saying that correctly? Correct. Wow. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was actually going to make a little extra money and clean the church. <laughs> so I wasn't actually going to. I had no idea why I was. Uh, what was happening. I just knew I was going and I was going to set it up and tear it down. And so I was just there watching what they were doing. And they did a kirtan, which apparently is quite well known. And it's a, like a Hare Krishna kind of chanting. And um, what is fascinating, and you know this about me, Tracy, I mean, even in church, I can't. I'm lucky if I sit through the 20-minute talk. I'm up and out, or I'm doodling, or I'm not, you know, you just cannot, A, you can't hold my attention because I'm not very easily impressed, and B, I just just can't sit still. I just have that kind of ADD, kind of always moving kind of energy. And I was mesmerized. I kid you not. They for an hour and ten minutes they did this just stupid sort of chanting. I you know I couldn't understand a word of it. You know I say that stupid in a loving way, but you know this kind of you know just whatever it is this strange chanting these sounds these Sanskrit sounds that if you just listen to them they sound kind of strange and silly. Um, but in the experience of that, I was transfixed. I was it was. Unbelievable! Time just went by. I was, and I just I can't say enough. I'm like trying to figure out where I can go get another curtain. I want to say I want to say curtain. No, you do. Whatever it is, I want to do it again. And it was, it was, it was. And so I guess there's. Interestingly enough, CDs. And it is transformative for a lot of people because what happens is when you get into the chanting and the mantra, but the chanting of it and the sounds of it. Mm -hmm. um, It does something. Well, yeah, because you get out of your thinking (laughs) mind and it's the feeling. (sighs) And they are using, using, usually they're using either Buddhist chants or ancient Sanskrit there you go. tones. Why it sounds so silly? So it's not the it's not just the word, mm-hmm. but it's also the tone. That every mm. sound has a like a a tone on the scale, mm. and each tone there are different tones that match to different chakras. Wow! And so um, there are phrases that have spiritual meanings, and because and you don't know them intellectually right. because it's it's Hindu or in, uh-huh. you know some ancient uh, language that you haven't studied, mm-hmm. and so you start chanting that in your brain. But your it's like the universal mind. No, I kid you not. Yeah, it's like it short circuits the human mind. Exactly. My human mind was gone, gone, gone. I am so glad I thought to think of this to say out loud. Everybody should get a Kirtan chanting CD and see what happens. And it was just mystical. And now that you've been to a live one, a yeah. CD would probably work for you. But I think I know you well enough oh, that yeah. if you had That's just true. had the CD before, That's totally true. you wouldn't. You would have been like, "What is this? I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> this silly. is stupid." That's and, probably right. true. But having had the feeling mm-hmm. of it, yeah. Now you could listen to a CD and you would take a deep breath, close your eyes, and you'd be sitting in. I'd that be space back in that again. space. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a Hare Krishna temple to. No, because it's not just Hare Krishna. It's it's much bigger than that. Oh, look at you, old wise Well, no, people have assumptions about, like, Hare Krishna, and it's like they didn't create this this chanting (laughs) and all of that. It was part of their practice, but they had a lot of other beliefs, too, or have. Um, And there are lots of different uh, groups that do kirtans, so... And Which I is funny because that. I like I don't like croutons at all. You don't? Mm-hmm. How could you? You like the bowls? I love. The I can't crystal stand bowls. the bowls. I, <laughs> I love the crystal bowls, That's but a, I don't like chanting and toning. And I don't so know. I, and I've tried it like you know a couple dozen times. Think always thinking. That's so fascinating. 
intellectually, but I should love this. I love meditation. You love the bowls. And I love the bowls, and I love, you know, but I don't like, a lot of people, when they're making the sounds, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing the chanting, the they're doing the toning, it resonates because there's movement in their body, you know, and they're creating the sound as well as hearing the sound. And for me, it's like, no. Uh, no. <laughs> and it's not even about singing uh-huh. or being, because I'll sing along to you. Know, so it's not yeah, that. It's yeah. just, it does, for whatever reason, it doesn't work for me. I get distracted by right. it right. or something. Right. So I, it's like, okay, no. I've, I've, I don't ever have to do this again in my life. Although I probably will. Yeah. But it's not one of my favorite practices. You know, what I was thinking about, too, was, um, you know, the question of what spiritual practices could help us move from fear or move out of fear or not allow fear to have control of us. And you said the sitting still, and and I agree with you. And then I thought, what do I... Mark the time. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) And then I thought, what do I do? And sometimes... And I do that. Like there have been times when I've been in fear about stuff, and I I will meditate like every two hours or wow. every hour on the hour because I'll be fine when I come out of meditation. And then an hour later, I notice that the anxiety is right back, and my human brain and my ego mm-hmm. are taking over. And I'll be like, okay, take a five minute meditation break, and I'll be fine for an hour or two. And you know, and and that's. So I do that. But the other thing that I do is I, I, I'll use directive practices. I will use, you know, prayer, affirmative prayer, or spiritual mind treatment, you know, and I'll be beating on the you dead, demanding you're good. Right. And, you know, I know that what I'm doing is I'm shifting my consciousness right. around whatever it is. I'm not really yelling at God. You're not doing a cosmic slap. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like I'm really convincing myself mm-hmm. that there is no way that spirit would abandon me in right. this, and this is what I know to be true. Right. And sometimes I have to, like, pound on my hand or pound on the desk or pound on the floor or stamp and scream. Make it. To believe it. It's like... My passion in the prayer yes. has to meet or exceed the oh. passion in the fear. Oh, I love it. Okay, right. I should write that down. Yeah, you That's should. good. You should copyright that. The passion. The passion in the prayer. The meet or exceed. Meet or exceed. And it needs to be the fire of the fear. Well, look at you, the F of the F. <laughs> right. It's like passion and prayer have to have fear. Have to you have are an amazing person to be able to do that. And she's writing it down. I love that. There you go. Yeah, because I'm writing you a book. Remember it? No. Oh. No. Mm-mm. That is fantastic. Now I will, maybe Thanks. because I'm right. writing it down. Right, right, right. No, I'd be texting you an hour from now I mean, saying, I would remember can it. you remember what I said? <laughs> And it is a fascinating thing to think about, you know, again, I, to look at it as me being a part of the process. I think for years I just was kind of laying down, metaphorically, and all of my fears or all of my uncertainties or all of my doubts were running around on top of my body. It's kind of like the gullible, you know, what was that guy that was the big, huge thing that was tied down by little tiny people? What is that gullible? <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, I wasn't in the game. I wasn't on the playing field of my life. And, you know, all these little things in terms of having a, you know, stomping my hands on my fist saying, you know, I deserve the good, that puts me in in play. That puts me in action. And there's always fear is much less when I'm in action. I have to requiesce me to give fear power. And so as long as we take that action knowing that it is guided by spirit, right, then we are on our way to a better place. And that's all the time we have today. Well, there you go. say yes to spirit. Our theme is fear. Please join us again or check out all the archives online. Until we meet again, say yes Yes to to spirit. spirit.
But my heart's been hurt a couple times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie. Alexa, play meant to be. Okay. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, just let it be. If it's meant to be, with Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.